Welcome, everybody, to Sippin' and Shippin'. I'm your host, Brian Weinstein. We'll be kicking it here every other Friday, quenching your thirst for an insider's take to enhance your customer experience. So grab your drink of choice, kick back, it's Sippin' and Shippin' time. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sippin' and Shippin'. I am your host, Brian Weinstein, and with me, again, this particular Friday, Caitlin Postal. Hey, Brian, back again. Happy to have you back. I know you gave me the opportunity last week to take over. We had a lot of fun, but uh, looking forward to this episode today. Uh, You know what? I have to tell you, and and for those of you, hopefully all tuned in last week, we had the first of our month celebration of Women's History Month, and Caitlin hijacked the show last week, and uh, and it was just fantastic. You guys did a tremendous job. Um, you know, obviously, and I and I I texted all of you this. Very proud to get to work with some really strong female leaders. Um, so it was really nice to hear some of the backstories. Yeah, very interesting. We had uh, we had a doc, almost doctor. We had uh, Hannah Montana, and we had uh, Sandra Deep. But you know, all turned out to be logistical leaders and ladies that I'm too. I'll echo that sentiment. Very proud uh, to work alongside of and learn from every day, for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in terms of female leaders, Women's History Month, an absolute rock star we have with us today is Maya Benson. Maya, how are you? Hi, Brian. Hi, Caitlin. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to be here. What are you guys sipping on our our podcast today? Bringing it back to the sipping topic. All right, you put me on the spot. I have nothing more than some H2O here. Staying hydrated. Me That's too. Awesome. Me too. I've got stay. my I've I've got my big jug of water. Taking it easy today. I I may have overindulged a little bit last night. Just saying. So there it is. Just 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 trying to keep myself hydrated. You know, in many countries they call Thursday Small Friday. So good right. for you. Exactly. And I've got some Seagrams, guys, and it's not what you think. It's ginger ale. Oh, okay. there you go. <laughs> I brought some Seagrams to the party. Not, not different quite. kind of bubbly. Not <laughs> <laughs> yet. Exactly. Exactly. So Maya, for those out there, and I'm sure there's very few of them who don't know you, could you just give us a little bit of background uh, on you and you know where you came from and a little bit of your history? So I'm a native Midwestern gal, grew up a lot in Chicago and grew up out in the Valley really as a product manager, building SaaS products for really non-SaaS native companies uh, and grew from product management into general management. So kind of running portfolios of products and really throughout that process in big corporate America was the intrapreneur. So all of that, pro- all of that product base and laddered up into portfolio base was net new stuff to the big corporate uh, players. And so that's, that was kind of the, the early chapter. As I thought about that experience, what became clear to me is it's such a luxury in big corporate when you have distribu- built-in distribution resources. Those are really, really critical and important levers to have when you build and launch new stuff. But the flip side is there's a lot of navigation to transforming firms into kind of the digital data, you know, A-B test, take some risk, kind of yeses are good, noes are equally as good. Let's just move fast and learn. So what I was looking for as as I was kind of building stuff for big corporate was an environment where that those baselines were already really well established. Yep. So after after big corporate, I jumped to a growth company 
called Shopify, um, second U.S. employee. New, they were brand new to the shipping space. Okay. And so I uh, came in and ran and built and ran everything uh, outside of R&D. So had an absolute blast kind of working in a culture where some of those first principles that I just outlined, yep. digital native, data native, hypothesis-based, test-oriented, risk-oriented, were all there and true. And so, so yeah. and just a question, just to, just to dial back a second, like yeah. what, what drove you towards tech? It's such a great question. <laughs> it's such a great question. If I'm very, very honest, I think I post um, undergrad landed in San Francisco. Okay. Um, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, like many recent grads. And the best advice I had was from my dad who said, totally okay, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. Go get some great training. So I was very fortunate to have a first job at Xerox at that point in time, which had kind of a world-class, really consultative-based selling motion, value-based selling motion. So got some good foundational training, and I got lucky, Brian, yep. in that it was the mid-90s, and Xerox was going through real-time the analog to digital transformation. Okay. As a salesperson at that point in time, I was really selling some of the earliest and first digital uh, copiers and fax okay. machines right. to the market. So that, that's the answer and the anchor, and, and it's kind of candidly nothing more than sheer luck in terms of the tiny, t the analog to digital timing transformation. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I never really thought of Xerox in that in in that role and being having such a big transformation. But I, I guess when you when you think it through, well, re yeah. remember Xerox is is world class R and D famous. They had the yeah. Park Research Center, the Palo Alto Research Center. And really, if you've if you've read the story about, um, I think it was Bi uh, Bill Gates walked through or Jobs walked through. It was Jobs who walked through Park, got a tour, and saw the mouse. Right. So the invention, okay. you know, really fundamental early days tech. Remember, guys, this is the mid '90s. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, was was born out of Xerox. So yeah. to your point, Brent, most people wouldn't think about that. It's not something that somebody's going to think about during the day, but just providing added, added color and context. Yeah. Talk about timing is everything. I was kind of taken aback by that answer, but like what better place to start um, with tech than with the fax machine and the copy machine, uh, and, right? the copy I mean, machine. <laughs> and the copy machine, which is wild. But you said something interesting that really kind of perked my ears up and that was move fast and learn. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about that. What better way to move fast and learn than being the second employee at Shopify? So what can you say about like that entrepreneurial spirit, being a woman, being the second employee and really getting things going at Shopify? What was that like? So that was their native DNA. Mm. So I, I joined uh, a current in a river that was flowing that direction rapidly, period, hard stop. I will say I was fortunate in building new stuff for big corporate to have the umbrella executive support to also do that in those areas, in which, which you have to have or else I wouldn't have been successful with any of the internal builds and growth. So, so that's, that is a first principle when you're living in a digital only, highly disposable, highly easy and cheap to test world. So, so was just 
thrilled to join a company where, like I said, that was the main current and the expected way of building. So, so I, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I brought anything new, net new to that river. I brought some some uh, product brief inputs and how to really make sure we were building products and had really clear definition of the market segments we were building them for, how big those market segments were, what the other competitive or substitutes were. So those, those were some value adds on the product side. But fortunately, in, in core to Shopify success is they're absolutely DNA native, A, B, C, D test. Uh, yeses are good, noes are good. Data trumps everything. Learn. Uh, ship it, launch it, get it live, and then continue to collect feedback and keep keep doing the same cycle, rinse and repeat. When you jump into that current, you have to be a strong and fast swimmer, though. So, yeah. so clearly, you're able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And when I yeah. when I joined, there were probably twelve of us on building all things shipping. Right. So, what's also great to your point, Brian, is like we we're all fast swimmers, but. We were small when we first started, and yep. we could, and because of that, we could even swim faster, right? Yep. And we built a culture of really kind of deep interconnectedness. Yep. And many of those original folks scaled with us all the way through 21, even as we 5 x as a team. And and so yeah, you, you're right. Like you got to be a fast swimmer, and you know if you're lucky, you're on a team of other fast swimmers that are hyper. Connected because when you're hyper connected and you have those fast feedback loops and communication loops, you even can fast, you can swim even faster. Yeah, and you know it's funny too on that note with with companies getting bigger. I I, I feel like there's a push right now with bigger companies to really focus on hey, how do we get back to being nimble? How do we stay nimble? Um, because the development and the you know the your the entrepreneurialism is integral to a company not stagnating and so having having the right people in place that can kind of defy the big business and and push an entrepreneurialism within is is critical i couldn't agree more i mean to me great ceos of big public companies fundamentally understand they're going to have different businesses at different points in their growth and their life cycle that require different sets of talent right so if you've got you know, a cash cow that's mature, right? You probably need a little bit, you're, you're operating, right? You're maximizing yeah. for yield on that investment and that that's fine. And so that's a set of talent. If you've got a growth uh, part of your portfolio, then absolutely to your Brian, you're gonna, you're gonna need some inflection points and some leadership in there in terms of folks that can lead with a little more nimbleness, right? Yeah. And, and kind of an innovative, uh, process and and culture orientation, and then hopefully you've also got a, a few kind of baby birds, as I would call them, experiments. Yep. yep. And so so this is called portfolio management. And Har Harvard years ago did a great article on a framework called H1, H2, and H3. So horizon-based portfolio management that I think is a great framework that never ages in terms of how to do that well at scale. Yeah. So, so let's, let's take a step back and like sort of in your career journey. And, and, and this is really with this focus that we have this month with women's history month. Can you tell us a little bit about obviously in, in tech, right? It's a lower percentage of women to begin with. Did you have particular mentors, whether they were, whether they were other women or men that really helped you along the way? Absolutely. 
you know, both period, yep. hard stop. That's the simple answer. I don't think any of us grow with, without critical mentors. So I was incredibly fortunate to have some great female and male mentors along the way. And I will say there's a lot of great attributes that I think about when I think about the mentors that influenced me. But one thing that really rises to the top is I used to have male executives pull me into meetings and purposefully ask me one question around the table so my voice could be heard. So there was mm -hmm. deep intentionality, not only of coaching behind the scenes, but giving me the opportunity where the decisions were made to have an intelligent point of view. And of course, be, before going into that, kind of having that, you know, mature, intelligent point of view, you know, socialized with, with, um, with mentorship and others. So, so I encourage more leaders throughout the growth of your career, really what any, at any stage you're in, manager and up, to be a mentor, share what you've learned, help grow people. It's incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. And then as you grow into the C-suite, obviously continue to do that, but also support institutionalized programs and matchmaking uh, to, to make sure you have a culture of growing and nurturing that talent. It is incredibly expensive to bring in new talent to an organization. The onboarding, all that is required to, to bring indoctrinate someone into the culture and, and into yeah. the role to drive outcomes is expensive. So I think, you know, it's, it's very cost effective to hire really, really well up front and then and system system systematize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a big Friday here. I need, yeah. another, I need another shot of Seagram's here, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, systematize kind of yeah. that 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 uh, that mentor mentality. Yeah, it's so refreshing to hear that that was your experience. And Brian kind of touched on it before about having, and you alluded to it as well, having the right people in the right seats. So as you began to advance in your career and leading large teams, what did you do as a leader to ensure you were hiring, you know, diversification of hiring, making sure you had those right folks and really honing in on that talent um, to be able to build your teams? It's a math quantification set conscious goals around ensuring diversity in your hiring slate. So I'm not making a hire for this open opportunity unless I see, you know, two candidates in a pool of five at least that are not mainstream for lack of a better word. So you have to consciously yeah. quantify the inbound to ensure diversity is in the hopper and then consciously work, as I mentioned before, once you're bringing talent in, whoever ends up in the, in the company hopper that you're, you know, engaging diversity thoughtfully and, and supporting growth for sure. the talent you have. So you've got to work the, the external quantification goal, quantifiable goals with diverse hiring slates. And then once they're in, you've got to keep them and grow them. So, sense. so those are ways, I, you know, I, I don't know that, I think all companies should have targets. So I think you should have uh, KPIs and ideally targets. But I think the nuance is for whatever role or function, those targets may be different, right? So right. If, 
if you know if there's a reflection in the market where in customer service you can get to 50 50 or better on diversity great if you're realistically living in logistics engineering land right. Right, you have a tech funnel and then you have a logistics funnel on top of that like right. the market doesn't look like that in terms right. of diversity available. So, 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 you know, be thoughtful, be mindful, quantify, but we have to also acknowledge that the supply is not, you, you know, equal in, in all types of roles. Yeah. I, I yeah, it's funny you say that because I, it, it's so important to do it, but you have to be realistic to your particular market. I, I, I mean, when we, when you start to think back on like the percentage of women in tech 20 years ago, I mean, if you if you said, you know, we're going to go out there and try to go 50-50, well, you, were, you wouldn't be able to find enough candidates yep. to get to a 50-50 number. Yeah, by, by the, the way, it's, it's declined since, since, you know, back in the day, like the 70s, 80s, we're going the wrong way. But, you, right. but you're, you're absolutely right, Brent. And on top of that, so that was, those are kind of the easy answers. I think the harder answers is there needs to be more investment um, in nurturing and making careers in the underrepresented functions more yeah. accessible to girls and women as they're yeah. coming up. You know, just by democratizing and making these jobs really like, oh, that's what somebody does, really, yeah. really accept accessible and well understood is revolutionary. Because yeah. all of us build up perceptions of what something is that could be big and scary. And in reality, we all know that's just not true. So I think I think it's incumbent upon all of us to to nurture the up and comers um, as well. It's interesting. There's just so much development that I think happens, especially the differences between you know men and women from a from a social perspective. I, I go back to when I was coming out of college. My wife and her friends, they all talked about they were never pushed to play sports. For example, when they were growing up, and each one of them talked about how when they got into the workforce, now we're in our mid-20s when we're having this conversation, When they, but what they were saying when they got into the workforce, they felt behind a lot of their male counterparts because they didn't have that team interaction. They didn't understand what it was like to function in that type of world. And now... Uh, there's there's so much in terms of like I I literally pushed my daughter probably kicking and screaming into sports when she was seven or eight years old, and then she found the enjoyment in it and and ran with it through high school playing two sports, but it's become so much more popular amongst girls in the U.S. and I, I'm proud to see what the product what what what's what's happened is that has made for leaders because one thing that you mentioned Maya and and um, Eva mentioned it last uh, on the last episode was this fear of being in the room that maybe you didn't belong and that you needed to have your voice which is really speaks to confidence and not being forced into uncomfortable situations and I, you know, as a male, I never thought about that as I, you know, I grew up, I played sports, I was active, you're competitive, um, but you're working together on a common goal. I never thought about it that way. So the education process and hearing those stories to me was very, very powerful. It's such a meaningful and deeply resonant story with me as well, Brian. So I'm the oldest of four children. I have three younger brothers. 
And so really the default DNA, uh, you know, in the house was a lot of sports. And so like you, I grew up playing a ton of sports and that's that what, what's beautiful about sports is not only the, the collaboration and the team orientation that you're talking about, if you're playing team sports, but even if you're not, you're always testing and learning. You're always succeeding and failing real time. Yep. I yep. made the shot. I didn't make the shot. I made the pass. I didn't make that plat pass. And so that tolerance for risk and failure is higher, you know, can be higher. And so those, the confidence, the skill set of test and learn and fail and succeed, all of that can come outside of sports too. There are other amazing things, you know, boys and girls can do to get those skill sets. But that is what is just incredibly valuable when you have, you know, a highly comp confident person that's deeply curious and okay to learning and in, in an environment that supports success and failure, that's a recipe for, for magic and, 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 and success. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you a hundred percent. So, so shifting gears and speaking of success and failure, <laughs> um, you know, we, we could be, we may be in the middle of economic headwinds and, and, and things. And I know you have, um, you have forum ventures, which is, which is a VC company. Um, and so we, we wanted to, to kind of get your take on on where we are right now what you're seeing the economy what vc money might be doing while all this is going on i mean we're talking today on friday march 10th as silicon valley bank is imploding i literally before i walked into this uh podcast with you um brian and caitlin i think i just read the fdic took over svp so like unbelievable times unbelievable timely question look high interest rates right now Mm -hmm. We have a really fun separate po podcast with a bunch <laughs> of smart people to talk about the root causes there. I think I think the underlying macro drivers are absolutely fascinating. And candidly, I'm not sure if if the interest rate hikes are going to ultimately solve our problem. But right. we've got these high interest rates, right? And so if you're an invest, Brian, Caitlin, you guys are investors. You put your money somewhere. And so if you can drive a lot of yield from really simple investment uh, vehicles right now that have a lot of yield because of these high interest rates. That means by definition, investing in anything else like risky new companies has got to just meet a higher bar, right, right. of value. And yep. so, you know, high interest rates we've seen significantly impact kind of series A, B, C, D and up companies uh, the most. In my world, we're pre-seed and seed, so kind of really first check in land we have seen some of that um, impact in terms of valuation calibration, a little bit more insulated, but excitingly what we're seeing is because of all of that and higher bars to success, quality of founders is going up. It's so exciting. Also, as you guys know, there's been some layoffs in the tech industry and we are seeing really some of those folks uh, decide it's a great time during these you know, hectic, macro uh, and candidly uh, economic and geopolitical wins to, to, to put your head down and build. So quality of founders is going up, valuations A and above are coming down. Yeah. Uh, it may, all of this uh, risk becomes very unpredictable for all of us, which even makes the barriers and the risk, you know, kind of spin the flywheel in, in that negative direction. So from my point of view in the pre-seed seed seat, it's never been a better time to buckle down and build 
higher quality founders know this is a time now of I got to build need to have yep. um, solutions. We're out of like the nice to have days. So I, I find it ex incredibly exciting to kind of join at this point in time in this market yep. set. But those are some some ways I think about it, Brian. Deals are taking longer. There's more diligence going on. There's a lot more dating going on. Uh, some other some other things that are happening because of uh, the macro world I just painted. Yeah, I think yeah. Why you said on our intro call, build shit people need to have within a budget. And I love that. Like, yeah. just build shit people need within a budget. It's so simple, but I'm sure it's yeah. something that you're seeing, especially with this higher degree of entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we call, we're back to kind of days of milestone-based investing. So build shit that people need, that people can afford to pay for, and ask for investment based on tripwiles and milestones as you build, right? Yeah. So you're not raising for two years anymore. You're raising for the next product build that's going to unlock more uh, traction more user adoption. Yeah, yeah. I went to a I went to a great conference this week, actually in Manhattan, called the Lead, and they had their foremost 50. So it was a lot of entrepreneurials. It's sort of like their little Academy Awards for for top rising e-commerce brands. Uh, one of the one of the roundtable discussions talked specifically about when you mentioned the layoffs. They looked at the layoffs as a tremendous opportunity because there's so much talent then that hits the street again. The personnel that they picked up that they may not have taken but had no choice, to, they needed to fill That's a right. seat, they yeah. can now weed those out and get in quality people who really want and can make an impact to their company and make them leaner and meaner, if you will. There's such a healthy outcome of economic downturns because it does kind of fountain out talent, if you will which redistributes it, right? So kind of yeah. the market doesn't win if all the talents condensed around fangs and then a few a few others. That's not how, you know, markets win. That's how companies win. Yeah. That's not how markets win. And we could all candidly argue that's not how democracies win, right? So the more we can redistribute talent, not only to amongst kind of broadly uh, with, you know, across multiple companies, but candidly across geographies. Yeah. I think the better that is for for our our country here. Yeah, yeah. I will say another thing that I saw, which was interesting, and I and I know I spoke to the the the, uh, the people that ran the conference, uh, and this wasn't intentional, but half of that list of these rising e-commerce brands were uh, roughly half were, were female founded, which you is mean, also fantastic. You what a fantastic stat. That, that just kind of made my Friday, Brian. I, yep. I love it. You know, the more and more of the pipeline of those that can lead and drive growth diversifies, you know, the more, you know, the more change we'll actually be able to, to realize. When women in, in, in you know, context as one, one example of, of folks that are currently not equal and all others become leaders and have power, then they can really materially affect change. So, so the more of that we continue to see, Brian, the, you know, the more exciting it is. Absolutely. Maya, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on, um, you know, giving everybody some background on you, your journey, uh, also a little insight into the market, which was, which was great. So thank you very much for coming on.
Thank you for having me, Brian and Caitlin. I'm raising my seagrams virtually to you. <laughs> Cheersing on some water. Uh, uh, so, so happy to be here with you guys today and, and going to wish you an awesome upcoming weekend. You as well. All right, Caitlin, you want to walk us out? Sure, yeah. Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Check us out every other week on your favorite podcast platform. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.